you have to look at your work as a as not as a static thing, but it's got to be an organic process. It's unraveling all the time. It's always changing. So it's not the paintings you think of paintings as being one instance, one piece of artwork, but actually a reflection of a process over time. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. I'm the host and creator, Aaron S, and this is the second part of the two-part episode. This week's episode is part two of my conversation with painter Steve Roberts. If you haven't heard the first part yet, please listen to last week's episode, as this part is a direct continuation of the conversation. Thank you very much. Through the use of abstract work, Steve allows the viewer to imbue their own thoughts and feelings on these paintings asking if the essence of a place is easily defined through art. So I'm very curious about the idea of like repetition in your work. So like, how do you evolve as an artist and not feel like you're painting the same picture over and over again? So yes, that's a tricky one because obviously to a certain extent, commercial art does rely upon a certain level of repetition and consistency. If you look at any artist that seems to be commercially successful by and large their work is very consistent has a very particular look that carries itself through the work and although they they adapt and they change over time there's there's something about the work that's is very coherent when you see it together but i think that if you had narrowed down the, the subject matter they're actually painting in some ways those restrictions those parameters can actually be beneficial to your output and your creativity because some some restrictions on what you create can actually lend lend themselves and lead to more creativity so i i avoid avoid trying to do the same thing over and over by switching up the subject matter because if i get bored from painting the same type of scene after a while i'll become obsessed with certain subject matters for a period of time maybe a month or two and then i'll move on to something else and that's that's kind of that's been a theme in other areas of my life as well i've become very very into something and then i'll move on to something else and i'll be very obsessed with that so there'll be the landscape but then there's all these sub genres within it that i'm attached mm-hmm. to at any given point and once i feel like i've i've kind of done something to death and i'm bored of it then i'll move on to something else and I think by doing that, you do change the work, but it's it's obviously still your work. It doesn't change drastically, but there's a, enough of a shift there that it remains interesting and fresh and says something that's worth somebody spending their time and actually looking at and, and living with that piece of work. So what has been like a subgenre that you've been obsessed with for like a month or two that you've been surprised by? So... Going back to the horizon thing, that yeah. was an obsession for a while. So I didn't know why I was obsessed with it. And I, I was just kept painting these big expansive vistas with horizons and big skies. And then I started to think about it more and more. And I thought it, was, it, it seemed to represent this transition between where you are now, both physically and metaphorically, and also where you kind of, you want to be. So there's the sky, which is the unknown quantity, and then there's the land which you're stood on. So you're connected to the land, but you don't really know what it's like to be 
a bird that's flying in the sky. So the sky is an ephemeral, unknown quantity. And it's always changing whereas the land is solid and and is for the most part a constant. So it seemed to represent some kind of shift between what is the here and now and the future and also it kind of links to what we we're saying with the with the biggest challenge of being an artist in some ways as well because you're kind of always constantly battling yourself the unknown is what happens if i challenge myself what happens if i mm. actually look at these areas of my life which are somewhat lacking or i could just stay here on this hillside which i know is solid like which i know is is comfortable so it has it has many different angles to that to that uh composition to that sort of that theme so it is quite it's an interesting way of thinking about it but i only arrived at that after making the work so and thinking about it and i don't know if that's me inventing that meaning for myself or if there's actually something to that i think it says a lot if you create the work and then in hindsight you were like this is the meaning of, of it and a question i want to ask you is the idea of like when does meaning come into play when you create your work like do you have like do you often have like a meaning before you create the work or is it during the work or is it actually after the work or is it possibly all three depending on the image so I, generally the the meaning i don't really know what it is until i've made the work so i'll go out into the into the landscape make the paintings and it's only through making the work itself that the meaning comes after so and sometimes there i don't know what the meaning is it's just a moment in time it's just that the thing that i keep talking about being present in the moment and connecting to the experience of being in a particular location that's the the constant which runs throughout all the paintings so that's the personal meaning i have but the meaning of the work or the reading of the work often doesn't come until later and sometimes sometimes it doesn't really register or say anything because every painting you make not every single one is going to be a hit or is going to work or say anything but it's through persistence and keep going out into the landscape and keep chipping away at this this crazy kind of cycle of going out into the landscape and painting it that you you have enough enough hits throughout those sessions that you where invariably some of them do actually have some meaning and they they improve often some of them you might not like at the time but then a few months down the line you actually see them differently and others may just not work so the meaning often often comes after but it's always meaningful for me to be there and that's really fascinating because it just i, I kind of i'm just i wonder like it's not necessarily a question, but I just kind of wonder like where the the compulsion for you to go out and create comes from. Because if you don't have a, like an idea necessarily before you're creating, it seems not odd to me because I also understand it as somebody who, who creates work, but it's like, it, it might seem strange that you're almost called to go out and create work that you don't know what it's about. And then once you've created it and you have it there physically in front of you, you'd then be like, oh, this is what it means. It's almost like you're interpreting yourself through your work. Because because you're working about the present moment, it's like every image is an archive of where you've been. It's almost like 
rather than having like a photograph of yourself over the years, it's like this painting is you over the years and the way it changes, the way that you've changed. Yeah, it def it does have uh, have some similarities to self portrait and yeah, like that's kind of a regards. really interesting way of looking at it actually. It's uh, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but it, it, there is something that's a reflection on where I am in a particular moment. But I don't want it to be about me, like an egotistic yeah. thing. I want it to be uh, a means to elicit something which actually has has value to it that someone actually wants to see and look at and gets a certain feeling from actually seeing it rather than just oh it's a pretty picture there's actually a deeper response to the work that is personal to them so i think the best way for me to do that is by removing all the any kind of academic or or ideas which can sometimes cloud the the work or try to become too clever try to do too many things and just become more grounded in what you're doing and focused on actually just being immersed in the act of painting itself so what is your creative process like like do you have any particular routines or like particular routines that help you focus on creating your work so the routine so i I like a lot of structure in in my day to day life, which is to, in order to be able to create the work. Yeah. So I'll get up early in the morning, so five thirty or six, and I'll get to work as early as I possibly can. So I like to structure my day and plan plan in a list of activities, and I order those activities in the order that I'm doing them and in order of importance. So I'll do the most important tasks first the one that I'm looking forward to least first so it's out the way with yeah because I find the morning is is my most productive time most productive time of day and I kind of I set up my life in terms of being able to have that structure in order to be as productive as I possibly can be which may seem counterintuitive to some people because I think oh as an artist I'm meant to be free and all over the place and do whatever you want but that just doesn't work for me and i don't know how many people actually does work for in when they're trying to make a career or something i don't think it does because you have to have routines you have to have order you have to because then it's not a case of like you're not just painting on a sunday evening just for the sake of it like you're making this into a career you know you need to mm-hmm. have shifts because it's the job you know you need to have because one thing that actually a good friend of mine said to me recently, he was like, oh, when I, because he's a, he, his name is Ryan Dean House, everyone who knows who he is, because I mention him all the time, but he was talking to me, like, when he creates one of his um, illustrations, his pen and ink drawings, he'll, he said, he always says to me, like, oh, it's my shift. He's like, I've, I'm on shift, so he won't have his phone on, because at work, you don't have your phone on. So he said, I, I, when I'm at work, I don't have my phone on. And I was like, that's a clever way of thinking about creativity. It can also be stifling to certain people, but this idea of like you're on shift. So therefore, like mm. the way in which you'd work a day job where you'd be focused on that job for like, say, six hours, you could do the same with your painting and be like, for six hours, this is what I'm focusing on. So that was a really interesting thing he said to me. And ever since he said that to me, I'm like, that's a great idea. So the idea of like having structure is really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it directs the work. So you you know where you're at. So I find it incredibly stressful when I don't know what's happening. And I- 
feels chaotic and the studio is a mess and I don't know what where anything is and it's untidy and you can't think properly yeah. so having that structure and that routine and knowing that you've got to get up and do this and then that and that needs doing and prioritizing everything means that you have a direction so when you do actually come down to painting it's more enjoyable because you're not stressing you not your mind isn't on all the other things you have to sort out because you feel like you're floating about and you don't really have a direction with the work so i agree that yeah the structure is is important so i want to ask you about color palettes and the idea of the color in your work like are there any certain like well i guess the best easiest way to start is like how do you choose what color palette you're going to work with so there's there's two methods that i use so when i'm painting plein air out in the open air i'll i'll create intuitively by by mixing the darkest value that i'm going to be using so that the darkest tone first and i'll judge what i'm seeing and mix from that particular color so colors will run into each other so that helps to create a unity within the work and when i'm doing that i'm not trying to replicate the colors i'm seeing exactly or match them exactly i'm just coming up with an equivalent set of colors that represent the type of light that i'm observing so particularly in winter it's a lot cooler the light's softer so the palette shifts and the, there's a lot more instances of cooler colors in in the palette and when it comes to summer there's higher saturation the contrasts are higher and that's reflected in the colors i choose so it's a seasonal type of palette so the colors themselves change depending on the time of year the the weather conditions and depending on what colors i choose to use i sometimes i use a limited palette to reflect that in a way which is more accurate to what i'm seeing if i want to create something with a particular mood then i'll reduce the palette down so it'd be various shades of purple or there are shades of an orange tone to get a feeling of warmth in the painting. And then when I come to paint back in the studio, I've started a process where I reflect on what I've seen and create colour swatches based from memory. So I'll I'll create sketches and studies outside. And then I'll I'll go back to the studio and I'll reflect on that and then paint based on the memory and so I try to recall the colors I've seen so I don't have a reference point I'm just accessing my memory of being somewhere and trying to convey that in the best possible way I can by mixing from my memory so those are the two main ways that I select colors the way that I use colors in my work and that's really fascinating because I feel like your work is all about color like the color plays such an important role. It's not all about color, but obviously color plays a vital role in your work. Like, is there a favorite color you like to use? So I, I tend to use a lot of the same colors. So I've used the same palette for, for quite a long time now, well over a year. And by doing that, you get to know which ones are running, which tubes are running out fastest and which <laughs> ones you're using. And you, yeah. you, you know your shortcuts and how you reach certain colors and certain types of color or certain feel color. And I really like phalo blue for mixing really dark greens. That's my go-to. There's 
cadmium yellow, which I use a lot. I use that a lot to mix my greens because I don't like to mix greens from a pre-made tube. I don't have any green on my palette at all. So okay. I mix it based on blues and yellows and then adding earth tones. So burnt sienna and raw raw umber, which I use to tweak greens and make them more earthy. So by having that same palette, I I am able to identify the colours I use a lot and the ones that I tend to favour. But it's the phthalo blue, cerulean blue, cadmium yellow and naples yellow are very used a lot in my work. And then the other colours tend to be used as tweaking colours, purple as well, it appears a lot. So I have lots of purples for shadows and that seems to indicate shadows for me for some reason. Right. That's I find that fascinating for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because it becomes like your insignia almost. Like you have like certain colors that become your insignia, but also the fact that those colors are accessible to everybody, you use them in a certain way. And like the idea of like purple for shadows is really like that's really interesting actually, because it's just like it's like a suggestion or something. It's not actually telling you something. Like that's what I find very fascinating about that. But like, is there are there any colors that you would like to use? Yeah, I'd like to get more yellows. So I've been using one called Process Cadmium Yellow, which is really nice to use because it adds a real luscious, rich green colour. And some more blues as well, because it's my favourite colour. And I've I've got three blues on my palette at the moment. So I've got Cerulean, Ultramarine and Phthalo. But I'd like to maybe try some Prussian blue and maybe some magenta as well to add in something that's completely different and see how that changes the work just having one tube i think magenta would be able to change lots of those earthy tones and lots of those the greens that i mix and add a real richness to the work what i find really fascinating about that is that you know what is going to happen to the colors for the most part by adding different colors like you said like you're adding like earthy tones to the greens to make them like different kind of types of greens like that's a really fascinating consideration because when i look at a painting i actually now i think about it i never think about how the artist got there in terms of like they've had to mix these paints to get these colors you know i think we i think as people who don't necessarily paint we take that for granted like mixing like the whole idea of like color mixing the whole idea of palettes the whole idea of application of paint like that's a whole world in itself you know it's not easy accessible or it's not easy to do we take it for granted that people can paint so well. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, and there's there's not just one way to reach this color yeah. either. There's there's so many different ways to actually get to the same place. And depending on changing a few different paints around, you, you can have a completely different feel in the work. So it's I ch- tend to use the same set of colors just because it gives me a constant. So I'm not. I'm not worried about actually using the materials themselves because I'm familiar with the way that they interact with each other. I've developed a system just by repetition of using those particular colors to create shortcuts. And then from there I can build complexity and I can, I can shift things around. So it's something that's reliable that I can go back to time and again, that gives my work consistency and just builds confidence in the fact that when I'm actually out painting plein air, there's something reliable because everything else is so out of control and it's 
there's less control than in the studio. So by having some parameters of control there, it means that I don't have to worry about the actual technical aspects and I can just focus on on making the work. So have you actually ever considered painting like a monochromatic or like a nightscape? So yeah, nightscapes or nocturne. I, I did paint one about 18 months ago when I was still painting with acrylics and it was more tightly rendered and representational than the work I'm doing now. But I would like to do some paintings that were based at night just because of the challenge that that presents and how I would actually approach that when, because my work's so ambiguous. And then the fact that it's at night means that automatically it's more ambiguous than it would be during the day. So it's how do you approach that? Do you still stick with your approach of painting or do you look at it in a different way? Do you use larger brushwork to present huge planes of colour or how does the palette change? And do you use the same palette? So we'd like to definitely would like to tackle that subject matter. So it's something I could do this year. I think it should be really fascinating to see, see how like different your work will be because of it. And and also just the idea of like being I mean, I'm assuming you paint mostly alone, but being alone at night in a like very expansive environment is very much a certain feeling and a certain kind of atmosphere that you can't really describe. Because it's both very safe and unsafe at the same time. Like there's a, a huge comfort to me, at least, in being alone at night somewhere expansive. But at the same time, there's also the danger of like it's also a very, very vulnerable situation to be in. And I'm kind of curious like how that would filter through your work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be quite eerie, I think, especially mm. around the Cotswolds, because it's so quiet during the day as it is. So if you go there at night, then you have the sounds of owls and Mm. and rustling in the bushes and and you don't really know what's going on but it's also eerily quiet because there's nothing there so you probably just see the vaguest outline of a hill or the vague outline of of the edge of a wood and how do you describe that in paint or how does that affect the way that you paint and the, the types of mark we make so I, I would like to go out there i'm having how to get myself a head torch now yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and go out there and film it as other figures how would you make a vlog when you're when you're out at night because <laughs> that would be quite a good episode of, you need uh, some very very good lights that's what you'd need no that'd be yeah. fascinating but then again as always like that's another challenge that you can figure out how to do it because you like challenges and it's going to work out well because you never know mm. in the future you might make a series out of it or something you never know yeah i think i'd have to get to the location whilst it was still light to oh, set yeah. up so I think, feel comfortable and then I, wait I, <laughs> I think you'd have to um <laughs> location scout and also pick the right place i feel like just setting up shop anywhere wouldn't really do and I, but the problem is i guess also the problem is that would change your approach because it wouldn't be just you being struck by something you'd have to plan that's not something you'd be able to just be intuitive about you'd have to plan it um which is going to yeah, be like, would. would be an interesting yeah. challenge mm. or like painting whilst it's like twilight would be nice yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it would have to have a very distinctive atmosphere, have a very have an impact during the day. So 
that would translate somehow. That's it, or even painting a transition from day to night. So rather than painting at night or in the day, painting from like like obviously twilight to blue hour to nighttime. But the documenting that transition from day to night could be interesting. Mm, like a really long, long process of the painting. We'll just do a small part and then move even on. just yeah, even just sort of like quick studies. Because think about it, like the blue yeah. hour lasts what maybe like twenty minutes, half an hour, depending on the time of year. Like you could challenge yourself and create some like really kind of. I mean, I don't like in your ideas because not like you, have, you don't have enough already. But it's just like you know the idea of like you know really kind of either really big or really small, just really really just like bold big brushstrokes, or kind of you know very like intuitive just for like a 20 minute, half an hour, what's the light fades and capture like that, the kind of feeling and emotion of that and the place. Like that could be really interesting. I don't know why I'm mm. discussing this, but I think now I'm thinking about that. Like I really want to run outside during twilight now. I'm like, this is such a good idea. Um, because I don't know this, because there's something nice about this idea of like documenting a place, but also documenting the absence of that place too. Like the idea that you're, mm. you're creating an image of somewhere that's not really of anywhere because it could be anywhere. Because at the same time, it's also nowhere. But because it's nowhere, it's also somewhere. That makes no sense, but it makes sense. Um, no, no, I was trying to say. Yeah, because it's it's ambiguous enough for somebody to to see somewhere that they know. Or it yeah. reminds them of us. Yeah. Or it gives them a particular feeling. It may not be the place itself, but it elicits a feeling within them. Yeah. So by going to a place at a particular time, so you have this small window of time. Yeah. You're having to be direct and get something down and i think there's something in the energy and the liveliness of those marks and the fact that you went out there deliberately to do that that means that you you're more likely to hit upon something from doing that because you know you've only got a certain amount of time so you, yeah. you have to get on with it and you can't be self-conscious about it yeah which actually brings to the question of like how long does the painting normally take you if you're doing it outside uh, so it usually would be a few hours up to maybe four or five hours, depending mm. on the size of the painting and the complexity of what's in front of me of the scene. I paint very directly. So I'll put a ground color on so the first layer that goes down and that tone will be influenced by what I'm seeing. So I'll I'll look at the landscape, but I'll decide on the ground color based upon what the overriding colour is within that scene, which dictates the mood of the final piece because that ground colour then shows up in the final layer because there's instances of where the ground colour shows through, throughout which creates its own unity within the painting. So you have the unity of the ground colour and then you have the unity of the colours which are created by by mixing one colour into another and then into another and into another. So they all share a harmony. So you've got these two harmonies working together within the painting. So it usually takes me a few hours and it'll be done in one layer of paint. So I'll go straight on with the thick impasto rather than what I used to do, which was I would create a thinner layer with a medium called liquid original, which thins down the paint and then apply the liquid impasto. But I felt that Having worked in that way where I had the first layer down, it it gave me, it's almost too stiff, it's felt too static. Whereas if I go straight in with a, a thick paint, then it's more deliberate and 
sometimes I may have to scrape the paint off, which is annoying because you need a lot of paint. But yeah. generally speaking, it has more impact. It has more vitality. It has more energy. So by going straight in with that thick paint, I'm able to to access that kind of that direct feeling, that response in a more a more direct way. That's very, very interesting because the application of the paint itself, like the way in which you have impasto paint, the way in which you make sure that the paint's thick, it, it obviously gives a work a sculptural quality. And I'm kind of curious, like, do you think that because a lot of people will see your work, well, most people will see your work online, do you think that your work translates well online? I think it it does translate, but I, I still feel that it could be better because I could utilize that more effectively by giving photos of the work from the side of showing videos of, of the texture because it's such an important element of the experience of reading the work. So the texture is intrinsic to the work itself, as is the colour. So if I can convey that in a more obvious way to somebody that's scrolling through Instagram or looking on my website, then I think that's something I should do. And it was only from this question yeah. that I really had the idea. So... But I think that that needs to be shown in a more evident way than I'm doing at the moment. But I think that generally speaking, the art that's online, the photos often will reduce the image down. You don't really get the sense of scale. Yeah. But there's tools such as ArtPlace, which I've used. So ArtPlace allows you to put work into a particular context, so in a domestic or a commercial context on a wall. And having that subscription has been great because I think that, that is a great tool because you are actually able to see the work as it would be once it's purchased and how it actually sits in your home. So I think that yeah, my work does it does is described to a certain extent, but it could be improved by maybe having some more images of the texture and really playing that up a bit more. I think even if you created a time lapse of the sun filtering over one of your paintings so that you see the shadows moving across. Even something like that would be great to show the three-dimensional mm. form. And I think this is actually a huge problem. I think a lot of artists have that who create work that is, well, actually, I think this is, actually, I think this is a problem that all artists have because we forget that art is a physical object. Like when you finish a painting, you have that physically in front of you. It's, it exists in the world. And I feel like we forget that it's not just an image on a screen because, you know, looking at images of art flatten the image and it flattens the experience. You don't look at a, a painting online and be like, this looks great, without realizing, you know, the depth, the colors, especially the colors, because the colors are rendered differently. Everybody's screens, everybody's screen is calibrated differently. So the colors I'll see of your painting on my computer will be different to your eye. And I think it kind of, that changes the whole experience of art generally. I think, I think I personally feel like art is almost always better experienced in person. I don't think, I don't think mm -hmm. viewing it online ever fully does it justice. <laughs> But I don't know. I, no, always I, feel like, I always do feel like, though, it's kind of a necessary evil in today's society. Uh, and actually, actually, let's move on to a little bit of social media, actually. So like, what are your thoughts on social media? And is it something you enjoy? I've, I've enjoyed it more since I've been using it as social media. So I've been interacting with other people on there, speaking to people on there and sharing their work and the work of people that I like their work and wanting to support them and also asking the questions to people yeah 
but I don't I don't like the fact that sometimes I get sucked in and I use it in a way that is less than conducive to actually seeing any benefit from using it. So I'll I'll be scrolling through and you'll just get sucked into sort of watching cat videos and those kind of things. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. when it's a bad thing <laughs> because it can be a massive distraction if you're not using it in a way that is intentional in a in a way that supports other artists or is actually engaged in the arts community or in the communities outside of that that are linked to art so if i'm on there now i've got to got to actually do something that's useful that's actually conducive to either getting more followers or supporting other people Hmm. so one of those two camps is either for myself or for someone else's benefit or to just engage with somebody because I like their work and it but it has to be has to be genuine because I went for a phase where I would just comment on anyone's work and it just kind of felt yeah. very contrived. So it's good to to ask them a question. And more often than not, artists will respond to you and they're very generous with their time. That's what I've experienced on the whole. And people will actually get back to you and and, and send you links and things like that. Yeah. Although you can be careful clicking on links on Instagram as long as it's genuine. <laughs> But uh, yeah. I think social media is is great, but it it has to be tempered by some controls, and have to use it in conjunction with actually going out and seeing people face to face, and actually going old school and seeing people actually in reality, and speaking to other artists and people in the local area to you to get yourself out there as well. So I think you need both. You can't just rely on one or the other. I think you have to marry the two together. Do you actually often show at fairs? Or is that something you would like to do? So fairs, I've I've got a couple this year. So doing the Bath Contemporary Arts Fair. So in in May and September this year. I haven't done any fairs as of yet. I've done a lot of exhibitions. But I think the fairs are good because they're generally bigger there's artists outside of your own network. There's people there that travelled there because of particular artists. So in some senses, you've got more of a buying public available to you or people that are on the whole, on average, more interested in your art than if you were to just rent a pop-up gallery and you're getting everyone in, whereas there it's more targeted. But then the downside of that is that a lot of them are very expensive, particularly more of the yeah. prestigious ones like Battersea or the the one was the, Ain, the one at Aintree. Can't remember, can't remember the name now, but they can get very expensive. But I think they're well worth doing, and something I'd definitely like to do more of in the future over the coming years to get my work out there and widen the reach for my work. Yeah, because I'm going to go to the other art fair next month in March in London. Uh, because I always go every year to go and just kind of see who's exhibiting, meet new artists, because it's a great place to meet artists. I think it'll be really worth you doing. Um, obviously, provided you have the money, provided, provided the costs are, are, you know, suitable for you, because I know it's expensive. But I think sort of that would be great for you and your work, because I feel like your work needs you there talking about it, because I feel like that adds so much more value and kind of much more perspective to it. So let's talk a bit about exhibiting your work. Like, at what point? Did you, well, how did you get into exhibiting? And at what point did you know your work was good enough to exhibit? So I got into exhibiting via, via 
a group called Art Force Collective which I'm a member of, which came about as a result of graduating from my master's. So I had two friends on there, this guy called Colin Clark, and who's an artist and illustrator and a printmaker, Joe Biggerdyke, who are members of that group. And they asked me to be to join the group. And we were just a group group of seven. We are a group of seven Gloucestershire based artists and we exhibit regularly and do workshops and various different events around in and around Gloucestershire. So the exhibition came about because of that. So that gave me the drive, the impetus to actually produce a body of work for for show. And the the first one we ever did was was about six months into actually taking the painting more seriously and, and focusing on landscape. But I didn't really know that it was ready to to show. I felt like it was the best I could do at that particular point. And so I just put it out there and and just kind of rolled the dice, so to speak. So I didn't really know it was ready, but often I'll have critiques of with Colin, who I've mentioned before, particularly before exhibitions. So we'll get our work together and we'll make selections, but with someone else's eye as well. So I think that's a really important thing to do, especially if you're, yeah. you're working working in isolation, if your studio doesn't have other artists in there, it's not a shared studio, because then you can actually either confirm your feelings about a piece of work or someone might say that doesn't work. You know? Or it doesn't. Or it works, but it doesn't work in context of the other paintings that you want to show. So it's important to have outside influence i think in that but i i didn't really know it was ready to sell to sell i just put it in the exhibition so just you know took the chance put it in there and then see how it goes so i think that's the only way that you actually are able to identify if it's ready or not is by actually taking the plunge and putting the work in there Especially if you like, well, this is the best work that I can do at this point. It may not be where I want to be, but it's the best I can do right now. And then show the best work that you're that represents your best at that particular point in time. I think that's the way to to view it. And if you do that, then it's definitely worth exhibiting. The idea of critiques, I think, are super duper important. I think the one thing that I got from university is that you always had a critique. You always had to show your work to other people, whether you wanted to or not. You kind of had to it, it kind of forced you to um to make work really because you knew you had to show it to people you knew that people are going to actually kind of tear it apart in both a good and a bad way and i think feel like do you feel like that is something that we need more of in the arts because obviously you know beyond just art force but like just in the artistic community the idea of like valid critiques yeah i think having critiques is is absolutely vital really because you're working in isolation a lot of the time and you don't really know where things are headed. So it can become a little bit isolating. You can feel like you're in a bit of a bubble and a bit blind to your own work. So having an extra pair of eyes, having different people's perspective on your work is important because they'll view it from a completely different angle and you won't understand what their angle is because you're not them. <laughs> so having that is is massively important. And I think we tend to be a bit overly polite in the UK. Oh, yeah. And we're very sort of closed off and emotionally uh, cold, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us are a bit distant. And 
we don't often don't say what we actually think about things. We just think it like just toe the line, just be polite. That's lovely. Something vague, that was nice. I like the colours there, that kind of thing. Whereas it's very rare that you actually get someone that gives you an honest critique of your work because A, the well, the, the social conventions and the fact that you're thinking that you're stepping on someone's toes. But then it's quite, it's quite welcome when someone actually is like that and will give you that critique and isn't exactly shy about <laughs> tearing right. your work down because often, even though it's uncomfortable and it can be unpleasant at the time, they might actually be right about some of those things. Or you think, oh, I, can't, I agree partially with them, but they maybe they're not correct about some of the things. So it's important because it leads to the opportunity to improve your work and not be so precious about it and see it as something that's already been created. It's not an attack, a personal attack. It's a, it's a, it's an opportunity for you to actually improve your work and maybe resolve some issues that are occurring in the work now that could become a problem or, or opportunities where you think this could actually be better than it is already. And why would you not? want your work to be better than it is already if someone's not giving you that insight do you think that social media is a good place for critique it can be i don't think uh i don't think by and large i don't think it is a good place particularly on twitter because it seems to be inhabited by a lot of trolls on there but it depends on if it's coming from an actual account from some of this genuinely giving you critique mm. i think it can be but it, it depends on the wording potentially it's never going to be as good as if as it is in person because you can't convey all the emotion expression and the kind of the nuances necessary in order to convey the point that you're trying to make in a way that isn't taken the wrong way or as offensive because you know you send a text of someone and it reads completely differently to yeah. in life because it seems blunt and it seems a bit you're being short with somebody, but you're just being economical with the word count. Yeah, where you can't convey all the 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 cadence and the inflections on the words in the same way. So, yeah. So it's I think that maybe there needs to be more of that because everyone's it's kind of like an extension of the society. It's, it's a reflection on Instagrams. Very polite. You get. I've had one hate all the time. I've done it, so I'm quite lucky right. at the moment. But um. But I think there there could be more opportunity to be critical or at least have a critique and not be offensive to somebody. Well, so I like this, but I think this maybe could have been better. But then it's how how is that taken by the person? Because a lot of artists are quite sensitive, I think, oh, to yeah. criticism. Because it feels so much part of who they are or who we are that it feels like an attack on yourself. But to distance yourself from that and see it as they're not actually attacking you as a person they're, attacking, they're just seeing something in the work that they don't particularly like or think is actually serving the work so why do you put your work on social media so the only real reason i have social media is to promote the work and to show people my paintings and my practice i don't think if it was for that i probably would not bother with it to be honest hmm. because it takes up so much of your time and it's so much energy that unless it's for an actual purpose that has an outcome that's going to be beneficial to you, then I wouldn't 
necessarily become involved with it because I think there is a tendency that it can become quite narcissistic in some instances where people are just taking photos of their life and hmm. orchestrating the image of what their life actually is when we you know the life is not going to be like that it's still thinking you know, so it's only the best bits you only see like the highlight reel of course and it's perfectly composed and lighting's perfect and it's they look good in the shot and all this kind of stuff so it's it's quite a strange a strange representation of someone's life and it's all orchestrated but i can when it's with promoting the artwork i rationalize that because everyone's online now everyone's mm. on social media so why would you not utilize that and it's the best way that you can actually get your work in front of people and it's kind of like recognizing that that's what i'm using it for it's a it's a practical thing it's a, a business application for me it's not just a vanity project yeah it's actually purposeful endeavor that i've got going so there's more of a purpose to it do you think you can be an artist in the 21st century without social media uh i think you can be but i don't think you'll sell lots of work in long term unless you have a circle of friends or influential Hmm. i think it's possible i just don't think that it's a particularly wise idea in terms of looking at the odds of that actually working out for yourself because you're already inhibiting yourself by not having an account so why would you not have a wider reach by putting in some effort into that and running it in conjunction with the other because one could argue the type of people you reach on instagram are not your audience like your audience may your your buying audience may not be on instagram so one could argue you're putting all this work into Instagram, so like as an example, you're putting all this work into Instagram, and they're not even on Instagram. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And even if you are reaching people, you could be reaching the marketing manager, whoever's running their account. True. And you may be just reaching other artists, which is fine. Other artists do buy work, but they're only a percentage of the people that you want as your clients. You want people that are not artists, people that have other interests. So identifying where those people are and then spending the majority of your time on that platform is is massively important but in order to do that you need the data available to yourself so you need to actually have some kind of indication there's evidence that the audience that you're trying to reach is actually on that platform and even then you've got to vary the way that you present your work to that audience on that platform so it's this is something I've only just starting to recognize and and cement in my mind is that there's there's the work and then it has to be varied depending on the platform that you're trying to promote the work on and yeah. the copy that you write and the images you choose and the presentation has to be tailored to suit that audience as best as you possibly can. So it's just another one of those games I was talking about, puzzles, within a puzzle. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a never-ending process about trying to find find those, that audience. So very early on, you said about the idea of marketing and the fact that your kind of opinions and ideas of marketing have changed. Are, are there any kind of like 
piece of advice or tips or kind of areas in which you're kind of like looking at or thinking about or like how has your thoughts on marketing changed in the last say you know few months so the the change has happened because there's a there's a scheme a government-backed scheme called the growth hub another scheme called start and grow enterprise which was european funded which i've been going to for the past six weeks or so but the funding has unfortunately been cut so it's ending in march but they run these workshops and it's been really good actually they run these workshops about from people that are in business around all different aspects of business whether it be marketing sales bookkeeping etc etc and they'll be really in depth and there'll be two or three hours in length but they by going to those those meetings i've had some really good insights into how to actually sell your work and where to market your work and how to actually approach the whole problem of having to market your work and see it as not even selling the work itself but not thinking about its sales but more presenting an image around the work it's everything but the product everything but the artwork almost it's like what what is the process around the work what is the lifestyle that is associated with that particular work or other themes around the work that are universal or have a or already have an audience which you can latch onto and then you can play at that particular angle and then present that to somebody rather than here's my painting so another layer of complexity is it's more interesting because you're showing what's around the work rather than the work itself and that's an important distinction i was always trying to just sell the product rather than mm. the ideas around the product to the lifestyle which is seems so obvious now when i'm looking at it because you look at any kind of advertising and it's the lifestyle they show but i didn't really recognize that until a month ago or so i feel like it's kind of funny because everybody always moans about how much ads suck and how ads are annoying but if you take a if you take a while to actually think about advertisements and think about like what power they hold like you could easily translate that into your work into your process because you're right you're right it's about the lifestyle because ads show you a lifestyle they don't show you the product the product is just, just secondary why couldn't art not be the same way that's a really good distinction to make and I think it's a great idea. I think the fact that you've learned this like a month ago is a great thing because it means that it's going to change your work going forward, which is really interesting. I think it's a great lesson to have learned. And it's just something really interesting to think about. Because I think, you know, marketing and advertising and promoting your work and getting sales, like the business side of art is really kind of what artists worry about the most. And it's also like the most kind of unsung part of the biz- of, of like the business of being an artist because we don't think about art as business. Most artists don't want to think of themselves as a business, but they, if they want to make money, they have to. It's kind of just, a, it's nice to hear somebody being so, just kind of very, like you're approaching it with a with a, a mentality of enjoying it rather than being like, oh God, this is what I've got to do. And I like that. I like that refreshing mindset. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Because, you know, it's so, so much work and so hard. And yeah, if you're going to do, you've got to do the marketing stuff, which, you know, I, I personally don't naturally enjoy because i don't have a knack for naturally selling to people that, but now that i understand that that's that's a system it's a, a way of thinking and it's a it's a structured process that you can actually learn just like anything else then you can actually apply yourself and make it fun as you were saying so you make it something that feels genuine to yourself so you're not 
you know, you don't feel like you're selling something to somebody. You're you're just showcasing what you're doing. You're showing the benefits of it, which is a important distinction, I think, because in the, the when you're doing that, it it's less of a chore. It's actually something that you can actually begin to enjoy and and present the ideas and the themes and lifestyle around work in a way that actually adds value to what you're doing rather than taking away from something. Absolutely. I have a question for you from the last artist interviewed, uh, an artist called Georgia Peskett. And her question for you is, does your practice provide you with what you need? It's an interesting one. In terms of fulfillment for myself, then I would say yes, because I feel connected to what I'm doing. I feel like the work I'm making is enriching and, and exciting to me. And I want to continue making it and keep making better work. See, the, the flip side to that is if you, is it providing you with what you need in terms of finances, then not currently at the moment. It is starting to pick up and it's improving. I still have a day job. I still have regular income. But then the downside of being a full-time artist would be that you don't have that regular income. You don't have a guaranteed set amount of money every month. One month you mm. might make a few grand and the next month you might not make anything. So that's the the scary part about it. And it is quite a scary prospect of actually not having a guaranteed income every month and just having the faith in your work and and your ability to stay positive and keep moving the work forward and doing everything you can to drive it, drive uh, the sales of your work. So I would say that it has given me what I need at the moment because it's allowed me to actually develop the work and I'm in a place where I'm a lot further on than I was a few years ago. So it's an incremental progress that I'm on at the moment. So I would say overall, yes even though the financial side, obviously I wish that that was a bit more so I'd be able to, to finally uh, give up the day job. But, you know, over time that takes many years and like, it's not just a, it's not um, necessarily the most comfortable thing because then you've got other problems. Yeah, so this is a funny thing. Like I talk to a lot of artists who are part-time who say to me, oh, I would love to be a full-time artist. And, and I always say, just as a caution, I'm like, enjoy what you're doing now because there, there was a time in your life which what you're doing now is something you wanted to do and the thing is that like being a full-time artist as you said brings its own problems and responsibilities you have to make money off your work you don't have a choice like you have to do you have to have a structure you have to create work you know you have to make work that you believe in and you have to make work that will sell you know their confinement you're putting on yourself by being a full-time artist which can be great for some people but I, I personally feel like being a full-time artist isn't for everybody. I think it's everybody's dream, but it's not everybody's reality. I feel like there's nothing wrong with having a part-time job. Even if you worked 16 hours, eight hours, you know, and had some small income, and then you created work as well, you know? I think there's nothing wrong with that. And do you feel, actually, I didn't put this on the list, but do you feel like there's a stigma with artists who are part-time artists? Yeah, I suppose there's a perception that, no, you're not, like, maybe not at the level that you should be or your work is lacking or there's something or you're not taking it seriously enough yeah. because you haven't got the business acumen or you're not yeah. sacrificing enough of your time and and your lifestyle to facilitate making the work 
I think there is potentially a stigma there, but you also have got to think that maybe that what you're doing is so niche that you may always have to have a part-time job yeah. potentially, or that you could be full-time, but it's so it's such a niche that unless you became more populist, which is no guarantee of sales, then that's probably not going to happen. In which case, would you actually want to make more populist work? Would that be fulfilling to you? So you've got to weigh up the pros and cons, mm. what you're actually willing to do with your work and if you are actually willing to almost lower standards of your expectations of your work in order for that to be the case. And that, and in which case, I think that's a waste of time personally because mm. you may as well get a full-time job and do the work in conjunction or even a part-time job and continue to produce the work rather than make work that you don't believe in just to be a full-time artist, which is so much more responsibility and no guarantee of the income. And then you turn around, you think, oh, I don't even like my work, which is yeah. quite, Sad <laughs> that's quite depressing to me. <laughs> so I'd much rather just stick to what I'm doing, create work that I actually believe in and that I'm excited to be producing. So do you have a question for this artist interview? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, so I, my question was, or is rather, why do you make the work that you make? So it's quite simple. That's fine. But then the simple the better. Tricky, yeah. And would you like to answer your own question? Why Why do I make the work? Well, because it gives me a sense of connection to the present moment, to myself, to the world around me, and it's a satisfaction that I don't really derived from anywhere else to being in the landscape being able to actually engage with the process of painting allows me to view the world in a different way and quieten everything down and relax and brings me a peace of mind that's nothing else really does and it's the same with drawing so it's been a constant so I always go back to that is somewhat escapism but it's also a very a very grounding type of feeling so it's uh, something i have to do in order to to function at my best so it's an intrinsic part of my life that she like helps guide and level my life out and gives purpose to my life in a way that nothing else does so i'd say that's why why i do what i do so what has been the biggest sacrifice you've made to become an artist so biggest sacrifice would be Going back to the part-time hours, sticking at part-time and then organising my life around that and spending all of the other days that I have free working on my practice, very rarely having a day off. So I've also, as well as giving that time over to working on my practice, I've also kind of I've made changes where I've like, I'm looking at sorting my diet out and all the kind of boring, boring technical no. things like sorting a diet out, being staying as healthy as I possibly can be. So I've decided I'm cutting out any snacks and sweets or anything like that. That's going to affect my sleep and then have an incremental effect where it affects my ability to perform and, and actually create work the day after to the best of my ability. Yeah. Getting plenty of rest when I can. Actually giving myself a day off time to yes. time as well because you feel guilty whenever I, I'm not actually making work so 
which is insane because you can't it's... work constantly forever <laughs> without having some negative impacts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or... You'll burn out. Yeah, so actually blocking that in and then just sacrificing that sort of making my lifestyle revolve around the artwork being the main focus which maybe isn't the healthiest thing in the world because you do sort of sacrifice maybe potential friendships or looking for relationships and things like that that suffers i think and that's another if you're full-time then i think that has a massive impact i imagine that's quite a common issue that artists have i would have thought is how do you fit a lifestyle around having a partner yeah, <laughs> and not actually like them ex- accepting that, which at the moment doesn't seem <laughs> uh, it seems pretty crazy at the moment. So that's a problem. I think you've raised some really good points. I think especially about diet and rest and actually, actually everything you raised is good. The idea of relationships, diet, rest and sleep and days off. I think all of those things will impact you. In terms of what you will or what you won't produce, I think particularly the idea of rest and having days off, like you need some time to take a step back and not create anything, which is hard because all you want to do is create because you're in that mood. But I think it's really important, and it's something I'm definitely learning myself. I was trying to do a hundred things at once. It's like you have to take a time off, you have to take a day off, you have to step back because if you don't, you're just going to burn yourself out and you'll be no good to to yourself. So um, I highly encourage you to take a day off or at least take half a day off if you can't take a whole day off because uh mm-hmm. you know or just do something completely different just go and watch a film or just go and take it well you can't take a walk because if you take a walk you'll see loads of places you want to paint which no. is going to be annoying <laughs> like that's the problem is you can't be like oh i've got outside and escape because you got outside and be like no <laughs> just stay inside the house that way you'll be okay but um like i would highly advise you take even just like an extra hour just to rest because mm. it's so i think resting i've learned in the last year you have to rest. It's important. It's something that I need to get better at myself, but like you have to do it. You have to not constantly be working all the time because you just don't need to be. There are times for it. You know, as I said earlier about like shift, like kind of looking at your practice like shifts is like you factor time into work and you factor time into rest. You know, I feel like once you get that balance, you'll be fine. And getting that balance is the hardest part. Yeah, absolutely. And it's knowing how much time you're allowed to take, especially when you're busy and you got so oh, yeah. many different things that need attention but I, f- I think having that even if it's only half a day a week hmm. whereas yeah you just shut off maybe on a sunday or something you just i'm not working now it's... yeah because you don't need you don't need like a whole week off that's not the point you don't need like a, you know well maybe you do actually to be fair but you don't need like a whole week off but it's just like you need some time where your mind is kind of just idle where you're not thinking about hmm. art or you're not thinking about creating work or you're not thinking about any of the other kind of outside things like marketing or creating YouTube videos or creating thumbnails or editing or, you know, audio, or just the million and one different things that people don't really see that is a part of the practice. I think, you know, that is a finding a way to do that in a way that is going to be productive to you, that you're not wasting your time. Like sit down with a book. That's my best advice to anybody. Mm. Sit down and read because that way you'll, you'll, not waste time, but like the time will be well spent, but also you'll learn something, but also your mind will be in a place where you're not thinking about everything else. You can only focus on the book in front of you. If you have a computer open, you'll have tabs open and that never leads to anything productive. Let's be honest. 
No, absolutely. It's too many distractions online and too many distractions on your phone. Oh, oh, oh I'm well aware. Trust me, I'm very aware of that. <laughs> um, a bit too much, I think. That's the issue. I'm like, oh, I'll only I'll only go on Instagram for ten minutes just to message somebody. Like two hours later, I'm scrolling through shorts and scrolling through like reels, being like, oh, this is a great audio track. Like, I don't even know. I don't know. The internet is, but then the, the whole point of the internet is your attention. That's what you know, what you're sacrificing, isn't it? Right. Okay. So, okay. So, if nobody saw your work, would you still create it? I definitely still create the work, but I, I don't know if how much intensity I would put behind the work. Probably would drop off somewhat because there wouldn't be the the need to continue to make it as often or frequently, and therefore perhaps the work itself would suffer a little bit. So I I still would make the work, but it would the relationship with the work would definitely change, I think, because when you're making something where there's a need for it to actually sell as well as satisfy that need to create something, then it it does change the work in some ways. Whereas would I be more experimental if I was to continue making the work? Or would it go the opposite way? Where you wouldn't be painting as much and then the work would slowly unravel or would begin to stay still because it wasn't given the correct amount of attention. So yeah, I don't know what type of work I would be making, but it could, that may well change. But I think I would still be doing something, drawing or painting work, one or the other. So I'm just curious, like, would you ever consider like maybe having a six-month period or something where you create work or, or create kind of like, say, Maybe more experimental pieces or maybe something slightly different than out of your comfort zone and just never show it to anybody for a while? Yeah, definitely. I think I would, um, I don't know if I'd dedicate the entire time to it, yeah. but I would like to start to put some time in place to actually experiment around my current practice because I've, I've had the idea of looking into more figurative type of work and portraiture because I really enjoy drawing portraiture as I've done a lot of sketches of self-portraits and friends and family in sketchbooks which is being really good fun but approaching it in a way that is linked to the way that i paint the landscape so it's not exactly representing someone as you see them or creating a likeness of them but using that as a means to to create something that's interesting is more emotive more ambiguous than just looking like somebody's appearance so I'd like to experiment more with that. And I'd also like to experiment with more fully abstract work as well. I've had the idea to create paintings where I lay down a colour and then I respond to that colour by balancing it with something else on that panel and then perhaps keep rotating the panel around and then continually trying to balance what's happening on the the panel and having no end point and just keep going until i feel that it's fin- it's a finished painting and where that point is so there's no actual there's no time frame on it which is different to the landscape painting because there's a very there's not a definitive point where it's finished but it's more obvious when it's finished because it's always in the same orientation it's always has a degree of representation within it so the abstract experimentation is something I want to spend more time on as the year, as we go through 2023. That's cool. That's really cool, actually. So 
What does it mean to be an accessible artist? And how do you measure the success of your own work? I think a successful artist is, for me anyway, is someone that's doing the work that they want to do and doing it on their own terms. And whether that makes them a living or if it provides some of the living, then I don't think that really comes into it. It depends on if they're happy with what they're doing and they're satisfied with their work and where they're going. And I think that's ultimately the success because success itself is is means different things to different people. So it doesn't mean someone that's making work and is making a living from the work, but the work itself could be horrendous, <laughs> but it could be still selling yeah. potentially, depending on if they're just pitching it in the right way or it's they've got a wacky personality or some some crazy gimmick that's going on or does it mean it's someone that's actually making what they want and I think that a successful artist is someone that's not compromising their work in order to just to ride a particular trend at one particular time but they're actually fully invested in what they're doing and they're on that path with their own work where they fully believe in their work and only they really know if that's the case or not so i think that's an interesting question because it's so many ways you can look at that yeah so subjective which is what i like to think about most of my questions are quite subjective or like they're kind of ways to think about like the reason that i love talking to people and i say it all the time is because everyone has a different perspective and like the great thing about you and your work is that like i'm talking to you now about your work and it's like this is your perspective like the way you answer a question like what's the biggest challenge or you know what does it mean to be a successful artist like that will tell me a lot about you and I'll tell the audience a lot about you and I'll tell yourself a lot about you as well you know I think I like to think of these interviews as some kind of thought form of art therapy where you kind of maybe hopefully learn something about yourself whilst you're talking um or at least kind of the questions elicit both you and the the listener kind of it gives you thoughts and opinions on on looking at your own work in a different way from a different perspective because obviously I wrote these questions having looked at your work from my own curiosity and these are not questions you would necessarily ask yourself. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it's kind of like, I like asking questions like that, which are very kind of, they are subjective because it would just tell me about you. And I think that's what what I'm here to personally here to learn about because I'm curious. I'm curious about artists. Um, and I'm curious about you and your work. So I'm glad you like the question. I'm glad people like any of the questions. Um, so yes. But you also said, interestingly, you said about personality. And actually, that's something I didn't add to this list. That was meant to add to this list. You've just reminded me. So which is more important, the skill of the artist or the personality of the artist? I would say, that's a really boring answer, but I would say it's a combination of both. That's not a boring answer, that's a great answer. So there's some artists that are predominantly selling work on personality, I would say. Occasionally, mm. you see that the cult of personality is very much a real thing. And they are particularly zany or they have a particular angle or they have a story behind the work. And that sells the work because of the way they present themselves and the way that they're often very charismatic or articulate or they have something which differentiates them from many of the other artists that they're in the surrounds of. Whereas the skill of the artist on its own is impressive, but there needs to be something else in there. 
there needs to be an angle on the work there needs to be the work needs to say something communicate something that's deeper than just an aesthetic response i think maybe not to sell because lots of people don't view work in that way don't view artwork in that way or they'll just see it as an image to fill a wall potentially depending on what it is but i think it's much better when there's a link to that work where that actually means something to the person making it. it there's something in the work that is intangible you can't really see or describe it but you can definitely feel what it is there there's something about the work that resonates with you in a way that i don't think it would if there wasn't the meaning for the artist that wasn't just creating something that was a pastiche that wasn't just a an impression of something or an impression of what they think a painting should be or a piece of artwork should be so i think that you need both really in order to have the best combination but i don't but without being contrived without being just a, a gimmick but then there you could argue that in some senses everything we do is contrived in some ways because right it's influenced by the need for a certain outcome in a particular situation or it's influenced by the people that we talk to because we change our voices depending on who we're speaking to we'll change the way we interact with other people so there's a there's a need for both i think there's a there's definitely the best outcome where you employ both of those things and you utilize both but in a way that feels comfortable to you and doesn't feel like it's compromising work or yourself i think that's the key is when it's not a hindrance yeah that makes a lot of sense i think it's cool to ask you because you know you're trying to get into the realm of making your yourself more personable and kind of showing more of yourself online and kind of just being a lot more outgoing and kind of just showing the process of the work and i think that that comes up to the personality part because i think it's very easy for artists to create work and be great but then it's just like it's just a great image we see great images all the time. So, yeah, that's why I thought I'd ask you because, oh, you know, this is what you're actually doing now. So it's cool. And actually, do you have any advice for the artists? So, the advice I'd have would be to just have your eyes open and keep paying attention to what's around you and being willing to, A, to make the sacrifices necessary to make your work and what you're willing to give up in order to facilitate that happening. But also be smart about where you're looking and and being influenced by other people in a positive way. So looking at people that have skills and qualities that you may not possess and then seeing how that fits into your own practice and how you can utilize those things in order to advance where you are currently and get to the place where you want to go and be definitive about where it is that you want your work to be and what you want your life to be like in a few years' time because of pursuing your work so i think being observant in day-to-day life and being reflective and being in that reflective mode as much as possible is vitally important really because then you're able to improve your situation and and get to where you want to go by just being having your eyes open and reflecting on other people in your circle and that's actually really solid advice. And that's a great advice. I think the idea of just being observant is 
It just makes sense. As an artist, you know, you kind of, you look at the world and you internalize it and then you externalize it again. It's like, it's like you're a filtering process of like what you see, like your work is a, fil- a filter of what you see. So I think that's a really good, really good piece of advice. And uh, what would your younger self think about your work? I, I, my younger self, I don't know if they would understand the work or, or like the work because my tastes in art have changed quite dramatically over the past 10 years or so. So there's, there's paintings now. I'd never really gave much thought to abstract work when I was first went to Cardiff and I was studying fine art there, which is kind of strange because now I've very much gone into that yeah. that sphere, if as it were. Um, I don't know if my younger self would appreciate it because they'd be too too obsessed with technique and be technique driven looking at rendering something accurately even though at the time my skills were not ironically were not as good as they are now <laughs> but i just don't really show the skills <laughs> as deliberately because i look at the work from back then and it's you know it's, it's really not very good uh, in comparison so i think my younger self would be surprised that i'm painting landscape as well i think i'd be doing something completely different or I'd be still doing the illustration work because naively at the time i thought oh, i'll switch to illustration because that seems like it's an easier way to make money yeah <laughs> which i was not... uh i was wrong, wrong about it, that's that's fascinating because like it's interesting to me like how you've had such like a journey to get here but like now you're very you're you know you're much more confident and you're much more in tune with what you're interested in and you, and you know the great thing is you're very well that your taste will change like maybe in two years time what you're doing now would be completely different with what you're doing then you know and i like the fact that you're willing and ready to adapt to that like i like that like even now like when i was talking you were saying like you want to experiment more for this year and it's like that's really cool because you don't know what your work's going to look like at the end of this year so that's really really fun i think that's really really cool yeah i think you know you have to look at your work as a as not as a static a static thing but it's got to be an organic process it's unraveling all the time it's always changing so it's not the paintings you think of paintings as being one instance of one piece of artwork but that's actually a reflection of a process over time so right. actually embracing that and understanding that's the nature of creativity in general no matter if it's music or if it's art visual art or if it's acting anything i think that that the fact that it's a process i mean that's always a continuum it's never finished it never gets to the end it's it's literally reflective of where you're at in your life and represents some aspect of where you are so embracing that is to me is the most natural way of going about things and ensuring that your work actually means something to you and that you can look back on it and actually be proud of what you've made and be happy about it and think well i made that because i couldn't have made anything else at that particular point yeah and paying attention to that and following that all the way through that's pretty cool. And the last question, so finally, the end, is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work? So I'm currently working on a series of free paintings, which are forming a series of these pathways of where I was looking at directional compositions wow. of leading my eye into the painting, across the painting in a certain certain way. And I was just wanted because it's been winter for so long i wanted to increase the amount of saturation and use lots of vivid color so i've been 
excited to be painting on those. So I've, I've set some of them up earlier today. So I'm going to be working on those. And I'm working towards a exhibition in the summer. So there's one at 16 Gallery in Cheltenham between the 3rd and 10th of August. And then other dates I've got, I have, I'm going to the Bath Contemporary Arts Fair, which is a one-day event on Sunday the 14th of May, and then again on Sunday the 10th of September. So I've got those in the pipeline. And as for seeing my work, you can see my work at Instagram, so at Steve Roberts Artist, on YouTube, at Steve Roberts Art, and my website is steverobertsart.co.uk as i mentioned earlier there's art force collective so you can find us on artforce.uk is the website instagram is artforce underscore collective and those are the links for myself my work and for artforce thank you so much steve for your time it's okay it's been a pleasure great to talk to you i really appreciate it a lot and thank you so much for your insight That concludes the second and final part of my conversation with Steve Roberts. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or get in touch via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these platforms to help spread the word. Also, please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily inspiration. And if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. Additionally, we now also have a Patreon if you'd like to support the platform further. Tears start from £1, and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash theflyingfruitball. Furthermore, we now also have a PayPal if the donations are not your thing. I'll leave a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. Until next time, folks, please stay safe.